Welcome back to the NBA Recap Show on the Mojo Sports Network. We've got a full squad today to talk about the play-in week that we just had and the first round of the 2023 NBA playoffs. With me from the mean streets of Melbourne, he's a sports facility owner and our fantasy team fanatic, Julian Balthazar. How are you? Good. Thanks for putting him in the starting five. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, you may have heard him on 91.3 Sport FM or DRN1 Sports Rap in Perth. It's our mini basketball encyclopedia, Yuri Bilsic. Hey, mate. Hey, Alex. How's it going? Good. Thank you. From the Sports Confidential podcast, it's Shepparton's favorite son. Jack Brophy joins us today. Jack, welcome back. Great to be back, guys. Can't wait to get into it. And as always, finally, but not least of all, from the raw.com, it's Mr. Tom Dev. How are you, mate? Doing great. Excited to talk about the playoffs. So am I. I'm Alexander J from the Three Minute Podcast, People Bites, but we're going to need a lot more than three minutes today to talk about the last week in play on, excuse me, in the play in tournament. Uh, we're going to go around the horn and just give a quick recap for those of you that may have missed a game or so. Um, I'll start with the LA Lakers and the Minnesota game that ended in a, a 108-102 overtime win. Um, pretty sloppy game. I'm going to assume all of you watched this game. It was pretty rough down the stretch. Carl Anthony Towns doing some work early, but then picking up two quick fouls at the top of the fourth quarter and Minnesota just slowly losing that lead. Um, Mike Conley hit three cold as ice free throws with 0.1 on the shot clock to extend it to overtime after AD had a bit of a brain snap. Um, but really Minnesota lost all um, their momentum towards the end of the fourth there. I think Anthony Edwards finished shooting three of 17 with a possible shoulder injury, um, and the Timberwolves as a team only scored 16 points in the fourth quarter and overtime. So even though the Lakers didn't play that great, Minnesota not getting it done. Anyone got some thoughts on that first game quickly? Yeah, that was a wild sequence, hey, Alex, especially the final five minutes when both teams couldn't buy a bucket, and then we saw that chaotic probably last couple of minutes when LeBron hit that three to tie the game up by memory or might put the Lakers in front, shall I say, as well in the final two minutes. And then inexcusably, Anthony Davis fouling Mike Conley, who's always been an excellent free throw shooter, well over 80%. And to hit those, you know, vital three free throws to tie the game and put it to overtime was, you know, real poise in the stead because that's what Minnesota brought Mike Conley forth for that steady point guard presence. He, you know, he's done in Memphis, done in Utah so many years and, you know, came through. But unfortunately, with, you know, Minnesota losing that and although they're up 10 at intermission over OKC, yeah, it was just one of those games, especially, yeah, down the stretch there where it, it is the postseason though, Alex, right? You know, where, you know, offense has become a real sort of grinded out half-court style and that's what we've seen and we've seen it in, you know, the other five playing games, which has been, you know, magnificent. Just before we move on really quickly, Carl Anthony Towns finished um, with a plus-minus score of plus 18, which is incredible in a what ended up being a six-point loss. Um, he was magnificent for the Timberwolves until getting in foul trouble early. Um, as of recording, we're halfway through the Timberwolves and Thunder game, that final play-in game, so hopefully the same doesn't repeat for them. Uh, Tom, talk to us about Miami versus Atlanta. Yeah, everyone sort of had a uh, Miami shoot-in to win this one, and they decided not to show up on defense. Mm. And Hawks basically just cut through them, and there was zero resistance. But the biggest difference was the fundamentals of rebounding, where you know the Heat lost the rebound count 63-39, to 39, which is just unheard of, and they allowed 22 offensive boards, um, where Capella had 21 rebounds by himself and eight offensive rebounds. Huge. Um, which was just huge. And the second chance points were just off the charts. And, you know, I actually thought the Heat might have 
posted a threat to Boston, but now they'll have to play Milwaukee. I don't see anything happening and potentially a team that might blow it up in the offseason. Yeah, anyone else want to chat about that game? Uh, Quinn Snyder's coaching was uh, a bit of an improvement to me. I haven't watched a lot of Atlanta in the back half of the season, but they moved away from that pick and roll with Trey Young and got some extra action going involved there. I think they really got the. Um, I think they really sort of pushed it up a lot more. Alex, you know, Miami's a real. You know, they like to slow the pace of the game down. And whereas Atlanta, I think right from the tip, wanted to try and you know get the ball out and transition a lot more to you know try. And I think it's the biggest thing that Trey you know did really well. Barring, of course, the first round last in the last postseason against Miami, every time the Heat threw bodies at him, he didn't just erratically throw the ball out, you know, to the other side of the baseline, hoping for you know a catch and shoot type situation, you know, save like two or three seconds left on the shot clock. He sort of you know really poised himself out and picked out the right place because I think we looked through Trey's stats this year again, Alex as well. His turnovers were considerably high, about four point one per game, which is you know really a lot in the NBA but what he was able to do you know those different combinations especially of him and Capella him and John Collins who they try to get early on into the the offense Alex as well I think the first three Atlanta possessions they went to John Collins and although he didn't play you know heavy minutes as what you know his probably last two or three seasons have been they still you know really try to make a conscious effort of getting him into the game And, and of course you know DeAndre Hunter's defense was really good and they were at least able to, you know, shut down Jimmy Butler, which was, you know, the biggest thing as well. And their bench. The bench was the one that gave them, you know, such a substantial lift. You know, with Sadiq Bay on Yeko Kanwu's, you know, rebounding and energy on the defensive end was, you know, really, you know, prominent yet again. And Jalen Johnson, although I think this might be a question mark, Alex, as well, come the first round series against Boston with Jalen Johnson, because Miami did try to target him on, you know, those separate, you know, switches and really try mm. to take it at him to the rim. So I think that might be a little bit of a question mark for Atlanta. But apart from that, they really buckled down. And who knows what they can do against Boston? It could be like the 2008 playoffs when no one gave them a chance. Jack Brophy, any further thoughts? Yeah, I just thought it was um, really well done. I was about to say the bench as well. But from a Miami point of view, um, now that they've got to go versus Milwaukee, I think there's massive concerns with Bam Adebayo. Um, he had 12 in that first game, but then again today, even though they won, he struggled. He's going to be coming up against Portis, um, Portis, Giannis, and Brook Lopez. Uh, he could be in a bit of strife, I reckon, coming into these playoffs, but you never know. This is what makes the uh, great players great, I guess. Just to show a hand super, super quickly, who thinks Miami should blow it up this offseason? I've got a hand up from Tom, a hand up from Jack, a hand up from Julian, a hand up from me. So Yuri's the, the odd man now. We'll come back to that yeah, a little bit later, Yuri. That's all right. <laughs> we won't spend time on that now. Uh, <laughs> getting to the first elimination game, it was the New Orleans Pelicans versus the Oklahoma City Thunder, and Jules is here to tell us all about it. Yeah, that was probably um, one of the most exciting games, and I know a lot of fans are looking forward to watching that game. And um, we got a very close game, and I think a lot of um, lead changes throughout. Um, OKC just got their win in 123 to 118. Um, and all the players that you expect to do well probably delivered where it mattered. Ingram was fantastic for the Pelicans. And Josh Giddy won rebound off a triple-double. And SGA um, and Giddy both had 30-plus points. Um, fantastic game to watch. I think um, you kind of got the feeling that the Pelicans were always going to run away with it at the end. The OKC Thunder looked like they were struggling to handle big Jonas Valanciunas down low. He had 18 rebounds. And they just a lot of them were offensive rebounds. And they, it felt like they were really undersized. Um, and in the last bit, in the last two minutes where the lead was still swinging, 
it felt a bit like it was Ingram on his own versus SGA. But then Giddy also, they, they trusted him with the ball in his hands as well. But I think there was a play where um, Pelicans were up 112 to 110 with about a minute and a half to go, and they had possession. And SGA blocked a shot of Ingram's and then went yeah. down the other side and, and, and knocked it down. And then I thought CJ McCollum took a bit of an inefficient shot, um, which gave um, OKC possession. And SGA went down with 28 seconds left and pull, pulled up from the side, his corner spot that he loves, and, and, and knocked down a clutch shot. Beautiful and shot. Then, um, yeah, and then Ingram almost pulled it back by hitting a ridiculous three to make it one point. Um, but I think it was too late at that point. OKC were really clutch with their free throws. Yeah, that ridiculous three, Jack, you can jump in over the top of me if you want, but um, I think it was Herb Jones throws a, like a three-quarter court inbounds pass to find Ingram. <laughs> and Herb Jones, uh, excuse me, somebody was draped all over Ingram. I can't remember who it was, but he got the shot off and just with three and a half seconds remaining, I, I was in my seat going, okay, this is going to OT, we got a game. But it wasn't to be. Jack, any thoughts? Oh, I thought the same thing. And um, oh, I wouldn't want to be Herbert Jones going to the locker room after that game because uh, that pass was horrible. Like it wasn't even close to um, being caught as well, like right at the death of it. But to be honest, I don't think that they um, deserve to win anyway. CJ McCollum was really, really inefficient. And I think he can be so hot and cold at times and that can be an issue. Yeah. Uh, Julian, you touched on uh, JV. He looked like he left the game with an injury with about five minutes remaining. He came back with a minute and changed to play. He didn't play most of that last five minutes. I couldn't quite tell if what kind of ankle injury or foot injury he picked up, but that might be a reason for the uh, Pelicans just falling away right at the end. That's um, right, and they were missing Larry Nance as well, which and I think he has been vital down the stretch for them as well. So, yeah, but I think, you know, they, they had their opportunity and um, OKC were just more clutch when it mattered and, um, yeah, great result for them. Yeah, very fun game, and we hope Zion Ingram can be fit and healthy for the start of next season, and that team can do some things. Uh, Look, to the other elimination game, it was the Chicago Bulls against my Toronto Raptors um, up in Toronto. Uh, Toronto had a a fairly sizable uh, home win advantage for the back half of this year. But Yuri, it didn't work out that way for him, did it? Oh, it was an absolutely epic game, wasn't it, Alex? Toronto were up 19 early in the second half, to up 66-47. I'm pretty sure it was at the near that point. I think there might be a few positions before that, actually, which OG and Obi had that excellent baseline cut to the rim and dunked it uncontested with two hands. And just thought from there, you know, the Raptors' athleticism was going to get them over the line. And then we saw, of course, Zach Levine absolutely go off in that second half. I'm pretty sure he had 28 of his 37 points in that second half, and including there was a pull-up three in the, I think, about eight minutes, six minutes left in the fourth as well. And then there was another brilliant play he had as well to DeMar DeRozan, with all the attention that the Raptors players were giving to him, and DeMar cut from the top of the arc and swung around for the baseline dunk, which, you know, basically punctuated Chicago's lead. And the other thing that really stood out as well, Alex, and it might be sort of something, you know, on the funnier side, but DeMar DeRozan's daughter was at the game. Absolutely. And she was, oh, this is the best part. Her screams put the Toronto Raptors players on the foul line just completely put them off. They only shot 18 or 36 from the stripe. And there was that one play, I'm pretty sure it was like 24 seconds left or something, where Pascal Siakam, who, you know, is a pretty good free throw shooter. I think he shot around 77% this regular season, missed the first one. And then I think he also, he got the second one in, but that one really haunted the Raptors. And I think the biggest part was, you know, for the Bulls to be able to really attack the paint because, we know, of course, right throughout the season, they'll dead last for three-pointers attempted just around, you know, 29 a game. So for them to really get into the heart of the Toronto defense and to generate more of those opportunities 
that was the biggest reason why. And there was another sequence too, Alex. I think it was late in the third. So they were down 71-66, and Alex Caruso drew an offensive foul off an mm. inbound play. And yeah. I think that's where the biggest turning point came from, that moment onwards where, unfortunately, you know, Toronto just couldn't wrestle back the momentum. And, you know, with DeRozan and Levine, those two, for so many years, they'll be able to create their own shot. And, you know, Vucevic was solid as well. He's rebounding, yeah. of course. He's been a tremendous rebounder right throughout his career, and that really came through. And I think that's a really interesting part as well, Alex. I think even before the playing tournament, they really experimented late in the regular season with a smallish lineup with having Pat Beverly, Alex Caruso in the backcourt, and then Zach Levine switching to small forward, DeMart, power forward, and Vucevic, of course, at the center. And it's also what they did today as well because Miami went small too by having Max Struess at shooting guard, I'm small forward, I'm pretty sure, and then Jimmy mm. Butler moving to the power forward position, and although it didn't work out today. But still, what they were able to do, Chicago, in that playing tournament, and especially, you know, the Toronto Raptors come to playoffs as well. We've seen over many years, the 2001 playoffs, where, you know, it was an absolute jamboree in the Air Canada Centre, especially, you know, during the Vince Carter era in those series against the New York Knicks and the Philadelphia 76ers. We thought, you know, when they were up by, you know, that 19-point lead early in the third quarter that they were going to, you know, punch their ticket and play Miami for the eighth and final spot. But what the Bulls, again, were able to do was, you know, play it on their, you know, terms because defensively... We I think you're exactly right, this. actually, yeah. Yuri, because as a Raptors fan, I never felt confident even with that big lead. Chicago really showed, uh, especially late in the third, that they started playing that game on their terms. You're exactly right. Um Toronto falling away that like I've done a lot of times this year. I don't have the splits in front of me when they're up by 10 with the losses. Um, but yeah, you touched on it really briefly. If you didn't watch this game, you might have missed DeMar DeRozan's daughter screaming at the top of her lungs on the broadcast at every free throw. And, and you were right. Uh, get that girl a contract because the Raptors <laughs> shot 18 to 36, 50% from the line. And it was what a four point game. So um, she deserves a couple million dollars there. Uh, Jack. Just with that, I was going to add on to that. Um, I found the funny side of it, and I think that it's quite good, and obviously it worked. But um, from a sportsman's-like point of view, say if it was just a random fan doing that, um, would that be acceptable? I'm just, it's, maybe I'm playing the devil's advocate, but, yeah. I think like, you're I'm, right. I know it's not tennis and it's not golf where you've got to be quiet, but, yeah, is it within the spirit of the game? I know she's only young, and I'm just sort of probably asking from a, a fan's point of view. I don't think they let her do it again. If you look, we're an audio podcast, but there's a cat crawling all over Jack's shoulders at the moment, so that's a highlight. Um, I don't know if anyone else feels the same way, but I, I probably don't think they let that happen again. This playoffs, I think it's just in the you know in the playoffs and just in sport in general, Alex as well. Any fan can you know shout or bark and you know try and put off a play at the free throw line. That's what you um that's why you come to games for and. There's no real license. Of course, you can't, you know, toe the line in terms of, you know, derogatory comments. That is totally mm. unacceptable. But shouting, barking, yelling, something just random, you know, like la, 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 something like that, you know, yeah. to try and put them off. So I have no problem with that whatsoever. Look, as a Raptors fan, I'm pretty worried about the future of the Raptors. And I know, uh, Tom, Dev, you've got some stuff to say as well about um, what they do. Yeah, just quickly, it's time to sort of blow it up. I think yeah. they've sort of... They've left it linger ever since Kawhi left, but I think now time to let go. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, $22.8 million player option. He's going to decline that. He'll get more on the free agency market, and I would expect him to probably leave. He's been vocal this week too about the team not being mature enough, just to touch on really quickly, but go ahead, Tom. Yeah, definitely. Uh, And then Siakam, $37.8 million uh, expiring contract. 
I'd expect to see him shifted in the offseason or potentially around the deadline. And it's time to build around Scotty Barnes. I mean, this was the player they said they wouldn't include in a deal for Kevin Durant. So time for them to sort of give him that franchise keys and let him go. Nick Nurse's coach, where do you think he is next year? Because I have a spicy take. He spoke about it recently, Alex, as well. I think with, you know, his future, he'll take time to sort of decide what he wants to do. Because, you know, again, being an NBA champion coach, that's a big thing to have on your resume. And to do what he did as well, to take over from Dwayne Casey, and most Raptors fans would say back then, oh, well, Dwayne Casey was unlucky to be shafted, say, after they won 59 games during the 2017-18 season, make it through to, you know, unfortunately, having to face the Cleveland Cavaliers and, you know, the Toronto's kryptonite LeBron James yet again and falling to the Cavs in the second round. But, again, what he was able to do right from his first season, take the Raptors to, you know, the franchise's first ever championship. And they were always so close in the bubble in 2020. They lost to the Boston Celtics, I'm pretty sure, in the seventh and deciding game in the Eastern Conference semifinals. And, of course, a few things, you know, didn't go their way. Last postseason, they gave Philly a real, you know, Litmus test, even though they lost by memory in six games in that four or five matchup. But uh, hey, yeah, 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 yet again, yet again, you know, it's one of those ones where I think it, when you look at the Raptors as a franchise, Alex, they're not really at the bottom of the rungs for too long. And you only have to go back to season 2013 14 with the Toronto Raptors where they absolutely blew it up. They brought in, you know, Grievous Vasquez. And I think at one point they were six and 10, if I'm not mistaken, as well. That's this true, is a but very that's, t- that's 10 years track. ago. This is a team yeah, that hasn't done a full still, rebuild in that time. Um, but still. Yeah. Jack, where do you want to see him in the offseason? I don't want to see him at Detroit. Uh, we've already grabbed Dwayne Casey and that didn't work out. So um, obviously we're looking for a coach ourselves at the moment, but I, I'm not I'm not quite sure where he ends up. Like you said, the resume sort of speaks for itself, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting watch. If I'm looking in the tea leaves and I'll stare directly in the camera and we'll get our editor to clip this for TikTok because I think this is a spicy take. I don't think coach Mike Malone is in Denver much longer. I think uh, they're not making it far in the postseason. And I think that's an attractive uh, position for Denver front office management. You've got NBA pedigree for a coach. Uh, He's a coach that has had players who with great offensive capabilities and he hasn't had to really coach on the offense very much, but known for his in-game adjustments and the defensive identity, which I think is something Denver lacks. Uh, Look, I expect to see him in Denver next year. Anyway, we might move on. Um, The Miami versus Chicago game earlier today. Yuri, we're going over time. So give us a 30-second recap of that game. Yeah, it was an absolute grinded out, you know, defensive style type of game where both teams, you know, during the regular season were outstanding on the defensive end. And, you know, Jimmy Butler came through yet again. There was that vital three-point play in the last three minutes to put Miami one and a half possessions up. And Max Struess, well, the man who just shot the cannon right throughout, you know, his couple of seasons with the Heat, especially last season shooting 41% from deep, hit that vital three on the baseline. The great, you know, assist from Jimmy Butler with so many Chicago Bulls defenders in traffic to find Struess on the right baseline to put Miami up five. And that was basically where it all, you know, finished really. And those vital plays down the stretch and also that foul as well, which I'm pretty sure Alex Caruso committed on Struess as well to basically put Miami up by eight and basically seal the game. So, you know, great performance for Miami considering, you know, what Jimmy Butler said post-game after the loss to Atlanta for the seventh, eighth matchup as well. He was, you know, really disappointed with the team's performance. And yet again, Jimmy Buckets came through and Max Struess right from, you know, the outset from his first He's shot big, got it yeah. in. Yeah, and just basically from there, you know, 
they couldn't find a way to slow him down, even though, you know, Chicago held Miami to about 43% shooting from the field. But yet again, that heat, you know, grind out heat culture mentality was the thing that really made the difference as well. So again, full kudos to them and the big test awaits against the Bucks. And that final play-in game, which is about halfway through the third quarter at the moment, I'm glancing down to our TV and all of our panellists today are, is uh, the Timberwolves versus OKC game. I think we're all at the moment leaning Timberwolves. We just had a really quick discussion before recording started, but that one's still up in the air. Maybe by the time this podcast wraps up, we'll have that final winner for you. We might move on to performance of the week really quickly. Um, Not a lot of games, but uh, Jules, we'll start with you. What was your performance of the week? Yeah, we've already touched on it, um, which was Zach Levine's 39 points. So I, I won't go into it too much detail, but I just thought when they were down by 16, they needed someone to just take over. And I thought his shots are really efficient and um, he just stepped up and I, it was Zach Levine that we loved. And um, as, a, as a person who's torn my ACL twice, to, to, to see Levine come back from his injury um, years ago in, in such a good way, um, it, it's really positive. So yeah, no, I won't touch on it more because we talked about it, but that was unreal, that performance. Tom, your performance of the week. Yeah, I got Josh Giddy in that uh, Thunder Pelicans game. 31 points, 9 rebounds, 10 assists, 50% from the field, 67 from the line. Very efficient. And it got to the point where he was sitting on the bench and the broadcast was panning to him and they're like, they need him in this game. And they mm. did. Without him, they struggled. And it's time we give this man the same hype that we gave Ben Simmons three years ago. It's as yeah. simple as that. Yeah, I mean, it's a do-or-die game. He has ties his career high with 31 points and it's his first 30-point 10 assist game. Uh, Jack, your performance of the week, is it individual or a team? Uh, it is Josh Giddy as well, the Australian man. I genuinely think he's going to be the greatest player in Australian history by the time he gets going, and that's just the start of it. I didn't think he had those shots in his bag, but he he's a very, very good player. And Yuri, your performance of the week? Yeah, Scott LeBron's 30.10 rebound six assist performance going against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And we harped on it a little bit earlier on the show too, when he hit that three in the final two minutes to basically put the Lakers up three possessions. And we can go through LeBron's you no know, great playoff career games. The one in the playing tournament two years ago, two years ago, shall I say, against Golden State when he hit that long three to put them ahead in the final minute. And again, this is going to be, you know, he's 38 years of age, Alex. He just hardly slows down. And even I think before the start of the season with LeBron too, with Darvin Ham, who took over, of course, from Frank Vogels, the Lakers coach. And he was talking about LeBron's minutes. And he was saying, we're going to try and somehow reduce LeBron's minutes down. But this season, he averaged about 36.1 during the regular season. So there's going to be no slowdown with him and Davis come the first round playoff series against Memphis. Those two will be playing 35 plus minutes for sure. But yet again, although... I'm not you know, sure that's we, a positive for the Lakers, though. Uh, LeBron well, looked exhausted. No they, you're right. They don't have, they have a no choice. choice. They don't have a choice. He looked exhausted at the end of the game. And I think you're right. He he probably shouldn't have had to, but he did try and force the issue a bit in the fourth. He hit that big three to put him up, I believe, but a couple of possessions before that, he tries one from deep and it goes nowhere. Um, he's obviously very important to that team, but their minutes and the pressure that he's under just makes you think, is this the year first round exit comes a knocking? Um, I'm going to stick with that game for my performance of the week. It's Mike Conley. So 35-year-old Mike Conley, give a shout-out. Finished with 23 points, shooting 6-8 from the three-point line. And we spoke about those really cold three free throws to tie it up. Um, look, Julian, I've handed off Alex's secret segment this week to you because I want to play for once. What have you got for us? And then we'll head into our play uh, playoff previews in the East and the West. Nice, nice. Thanks, Alex. I don't know if I can live up to... Uh your expectations you've done some great segments in the past but um i thought given the, uh, that we're all nba um fanatics 
Uh, let's just test that theory with um, how how well we recognize players. So what I've done is I've, I've compiled a list of players that might oh, no. be quite far down the list. And then I've also come up with some fake names and, and I'm going to go around and we're going to work out which player is real and which player is fake. <laughs> oh, no. No, no, no. Don't worry. Some, some of the players I've never heard about. <laughs> and, I, and I love player props, as you know. So don't stress too much. Um, and, and some of them might not be that hard, but they're not going to be as easy as LeBron James, Steph Curry, put it that way. Real. Yes. So, yes, both of them are real. Thank you. Good start. So, might start with Yuri. Um, yeah. Marco Simonovic. Real. Correct. He plays yeah. for the Chicago Bulls as a center. Um, Was that a guess, Alex. Yuri? <laughs> no, oh, it might have been. It might be 50 50, I think, Alex. Uh, Alex, over to you next. Um, Jason Plumley. You say Jason Plumley? Jason Plumley. There's not a Jason Plumley. Surely not. No, that's that's Mason's fake brother. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay. Um, over to Tom. Um, James Booknight. Oh, I know there is a Booknight, but I don't think it, don't think it's James, is it? It actually is James. He plays for the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, and the so Hornets. You're right, you're right on the Booknight part. Um, all right, over to Jack. Lyndall Wigginton. Poor. There's a few Wiggins in the league, but I don't think so. Yeah, there actually apparently there's a Lyndall Wigginton for Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, he had his career high this week. <laughs> yeah, actually. What was that? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, it probably wasn't a lot, like 21 or something, but I remember <laughs> seeing that come up. Wow. Back, back to Yuri. I've got um, Keenan Johnson. Yes. Yes, that, that is a name that I just came up with. So, you know, it's not on any of It could be, are you sure? You know what, it does sound, it probably is someone out there called Keenan. I think it's a Port, was it the Portland Trailblazers? Yuri, you go to, you go to a Billboard uh, breakdown. Sorry, or, sorry yeah. current NBA players, let me specify. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, back to Alex. Um, Garrett Temple. Garrett Temple. Oh no! I'm gonna oh, I'm gonna get this wrong. I don't think that's a real guy. There's a Templeton, I think. No, there is in fact a Garrett Temple. The one uh, I think he played for Brooklyn Nets. Is that right? You're in. You're is not along, and I think he did. Nets. He played for the Washington Wizards as well. And now he's on the John Pelicans roster. The no, they're nobodies. They're nobodies. Exactly right. These are all nobodies. Just to make it hard. Doesn't count. Uh, um, one more race. We have got Tom. Um, all right, uh, Marco Blackwood. Oh, I'm gonna go fake. Yep, spot on. That was (laughs) generated. And Jack, finally, Jared Roden. Fake. Got to be fake. (laughs) Well, does anyone have any thoughts about Jared Roden? Uh, Is that your real name or something, Julian? He plays in the Pistons. That's why I gave it to Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Joy plays in the G League. Yeah, that's right. The only reason I chose these players is because I'd never heard of them. So, uh, yeah, so don't don't worry, don't worry. It's acceptable. I think, I, I think that's about it. I've got a few more. I think I think uh, you boys did well enough. You got one more. We'll end on oh, one more. If you got oh, okay, more. cool. All right, let's one more round. All right, Yuri, um, Gabe York. Yes, Indiana Pacers. Spot on. That's right. He does play for the Pacers. He started having a few games uh, recently as a guard. Um, I think he's thirty-two. Uh, yeah, right. Wow. I don't know if that's his age or number. <laughs> like Andre Ingram. <laughs> What, what was that? Like Andre Ingram. Remember when he was oh, given that right. contract by the Los Angeles Lakers? <laughs> um, back to Alex. Gordon Phillips. 
That's me Googling in the background. Um, Gordon Phillips, I've never heard of, so I'm going to say that's not a player. That's right. We're going with Gordon Haywood, and we just came up with Phillips after that. So, yes, nice. correct. That is not a player. Tom, um, Bojan Snezovic. Uh, I'll, go, I'll, go, I'll go real. <laughs> yeah. No, unfortunately, that one was fake as well. <laughs> <laughs> You've done well to come up with that one. Yeah. Yeah, Bojan Bogdanovic, and then I thought I'd just choose another Croatian name. <laughs> he was Serbian for sure, yeah. And uh, Jack, to finish off, um, Lindy Waters the third. Real, real. Do, do you know who it is? No, nah, I'm just saying. It just sounds so real that I'm. You're, it. you're right. It is real. It's a player for OKC down the line. Uh, probably, probably G League as well. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Cool. Great secret segment, Julian. I'm gonna have to Love share it. these more often. That's right. That's right. Someone else can take but, the load. I might have made it a bit too hard. Next time I'll uh, choose some um, more well-known players. <laughs> I think Yuri went three for three, but he's got the encyclopedia brain. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been surprised if he didn't. <laughs> Yuri made the fake names real. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to take a really quick break and we'll come back with the, uh, the preview for the West. I can't wait to get for this, guys. All righty, back with us, the NBA Weekly Recap Show on the Mojo Sports Network. Uh, this is our playoff round one preview we're going to start with what might be the most anticipated game in the West, uh, the Suns versus the Clippers. Uh, this is the return of KD to the lineup. Uh, the Suns undefeated with KD playing. Still no Paul George, I believe, for the Clippers. I haven't seen anything about him uh, being imminently available. Um, and Westbrook's been playing okay since he'd been traded to the Clippers. So these teams went 2-2 two and two the season series. Julian, thoughts? Yeah, I think um, this is make or break for both teams. A lot of them have a lot to prove. Um with this and you know what where to for both of them if it doesn't work for the Suns and if it doesn't work for the Clippers so highly anticipated matchup um the Suns eight and zero with Durant in the lineup but the big four if you want to call it Aiden Paul Booker and Durant have only played 180 minutes together so the question lies um on is the chemistry there um and I think um it is Uh, obviously you know playoffs is a whole different ball game but um if they can keep those four or even the Durant and Booker combo on the court healthy. Um, Booker averaging 28 points um, with Durant in the lineup. I think it's it's too much of a beast for the Clippers to handle, especially without PG. And, and also, if you look at the depth of Phoenix as well, they've got guys like Terrence Ross, Akogi, um, Biombo, TJ Warren down the line that can um, do with the Clippers' second unit as well. Um, the Biombo plumbing matchup should be quite good as well once um, Zubac and and um, Aiton go um, to the bench. But, um, yeah, I just think it's just too much um, offensive power from the Suns for the Clippers to stop, and the Clippers are just relying too heavily on Kawhi. Um, but in saying that, you know, Westbrook, if he can step up as well, maybe they can make a bit of a run. But I, I personally think Phoenix are too good, and and peaking at the right time as well, as I said last week. Yes, I'll be interested as well to see what the Clippers do with some of their lineups during the Phoenix series in terms of small ball lineups, because a couple of years ago against Utah Jazz, especially when they exposed Rudy Gobert by going super small. But I think they had Nicholas Batum playing at the five position at various stages. So whether they do that or not, something that's going to be really, you know, intriguing in that term. But yet again, in terms of, you know, how do they sort of shut down in terms of Phoenix mid-range jump shots? Because that's where the Phoenix really excel with, you know, Durant, Booker and Chris Paul, who arguably in the top 10 for, you know, mid-range jump shooters in the league. So, that is another question in itself. Although, you know, the Clippers at the start of the season were excellent, you know, defensively, but sort of really tailed off, you know, the last couple of months of the regular season. However, they do, you know, have 
the defensive guys to really shut them down. And I think that's going to be, well, what's going to make for, you know, a really captivating first round series between the two teams. The other point is as well, the Suns don't take a lot of threes as well. And at Mm. times the Clippers don't take a lot of threes as well. Sometimes Kawhi can, you know, take maybe four three-point attempts a game. Other times he might take, you know, seven or eight. So again, the other part as well, I think it's going to be the big one. And we know, of course, in the last six, seven years, three-point shooting is such a major emphasis. The Clippers basically have, you know, eight, nine guys that shoot over 35% from downtown. And again, they get those threes, you know, clicking along at, along at a you know steady rate, then they're going to really give the Suns a run for their money. And wouldn't surprise me if this series does go to, you know, seventh and deciding mm. game. It just has all the makings for it. Tom, do you feel the same way? Uh, look, personally, I've got the Suns winning this in five. Uh, I think there's a report this morning that Paul George probably wouldn't be back until the second round. Uh, the only thing that I could kind of see going in the Clippers' favour is if we do get that playoff Kawhi. Uh, I've got the stats in front of me. Since he was traded to Toronto, he's played 48 games in the postseason and he's averaged 29.9 points, 8.8 rebounds, 4.5 assists, which is just elite the numbers across the board. And not only does he do that, he's probably the best lockdown defender on the other end. Mm. Whether he can do all this on his own, I highly doubt it. But if he does, I wouldn't be surprised to see this go down to seven as well as what Yuri said. Jack, who? what's your pick? We'll end now. Who are you picking for, Suns versus Clippers? Suns in six for me. I just think um, the Clippers uh, don't have enough time to gel it together. Even though Kevin Durant's just come in, I think it's yeah, yeah, Suns in six. And Tom, you had what? Suns in five? Yeah, Suns in five. Yuri? I've got the Clippers in six. Clippers in six. And Julian, what do you got? Yeah, I'm with um, Tom. I think the Suns in five. I honestly just think they're too powerful with KD in that team. I had uh, Suns in seven. I think it's going the distance. So overwhelming favorites for the Suns for us. Uh, Moving on, we're going to spend five minutes on what, uh, if it's not the most interesting, will be the most high-scoring first-round matchup, the Kings versus the Warriors. Tom, you can start us off. Yeah, well, the big report they came out yesterday was that Wiggins is going to be back for it, uh, yes. that he'll likely come off the bench for about 20 to 25 minutes per game, which will be very handy, maybe not on the offensive end for the Warriors, but for the defensive purposes, that's going to immensely help them. Uh, I know Kings have home court advantage uh, and Warriors have been rubbish on the road, but throughout the season, Curry averaged 33 points against these, War- against these Kings uh, and the Warriors did go 3-1 and one versus the Kings, although you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt because three of those games did happen before December 2022. So it's quite a while ago. Uh, but I just think Warriors experience in the end. I mean, this is the Kings' first playoff series for most of these players. Uh, Mike Brown, not a great playoff record. Uh, and, you know, the Kings' defense was ranked 24th in the league. Uh, and, you know, they've got... It's the... Typical saying the best defense is uh, offense, but for the Kings, that's basically how they're going to have to roll because they have the best offense in the league. Uh, but I don't think their defense can do anything against this, you know, against Curry and Clay. And I think this is Draymond's time. I think he's now just sort of going to ramp everything up and go, I'm just going to shut down Sabonis, not let him have anything uh, and keep him out of the paint. Oh, Yuri, go ahead. Yes, that's also another thing as well. I think that Sacramento may be found out in Alex as well and during, you know, Golden State's championship runs, the death lineup. So they did it last postseason season as well during the NBA finals against the Boston Celtics by having Draymond at the five, Wiggins at four, Clay at three, and then 
Curry and Poole in the backcourt. So they can easily go to that option as well. But the other thing as well, they can play both Steph Curry and Gary Payton the second together, you know, for who knows how many minutes Steve Kerr might play those two together. So there's so many, you know, luxury options that Golden State has as well. And for Sacramento, I think Mike Brown has, you know, preached about it all season. Like at certain periods of games where we just can't shut down opponents, there's other periods where, you know, when the game's up for grabs in the last two, three minutes, we're able to get those defensive stops required. But again, come these playoffs as well, that's going to be the biggest talking point of all. And who knows, this might be a playoff series like, you know, back to 2002 with the Kings and Mavs where both teams back then were the top offensive teams or even the Minnesota-Dallas series as well. Both teams back then were, you know, high-scoring sides as well. I think both of them were in the top five that year. So that's still my, you know, glaring issue as well for, you know, Sacramento is that can they, you know, cut down on, you know, trying to, you know, mitigate, you know, that death lineup as well and how do, you know, in the way they tinker with, you know, Sabonis as well. So that's yeah. the other part where, you know, Sabonis, they run through the whole off- offense through him, you know, from whether, you know, cuts to, you know, screens, all that as well, especially the F- Sabonis, De'Aaron Fox pick and roll combination, mm. which is so important for Fox to get open from, say, 13 to 15 feet or the other one, with him and Keegan Murray, where Keegan might cut to the rim for the dunk, for example, if he's, you know, his opponent is, you know, trying to, you know, gamble for a steal. So there's those other real elements, I think, where if Sacramento can somehow just, you know, not let the ball stick, and that's the biggest part against playing against Golden State, is you can't let the ball be stagnant. It has to move a constant motion. I think that's, again, what Mike Brown has brought, that Princeton offense, which, of course, the Lakers, you know, a decade ago just basically chucked all their eggs in one basket and let them go because they didn't have enough time to gel for it. But this season, right throughout the whole 82 games, they have been able to constantly use it and it's, you know, paid dividends. And now this is, you know, the ultimate test for them now. Can they actually put it come this, you know, the first round series all together? I think we've spoken at great lengths the last couple of weeks about the defensive troubles both these teams have at the center position. And uh, for my mind, this would be a really interesting test of the in-game and in-series adjustments from Mike Brown and um, Steve Kerr. Personally, I have the Kings in six, and I feel like I might be the only one here taking the Kings. Jack and Julian? I've got the Kings in seven as well. Yeah, right. Um, I just think Sabonis and Fox are just going to really blow it up. I reckon Fox is going to have one of those... Playoff runs, sort of like um, what Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray did in the bubble a couple of years ago. I just have a feeling he's just going to be offensively super strong. And um, like we spoke about earlier, the centers are a bit of an issue, um, especially for the Warriors. So I see Sabonis going large. Jules, have you got a pick? Yeah, I've got the Warriors in six. I just think the experience um, is going to play a factor. Um, the, the Kings rely heavily on their shooters shooting well. And that's even though the offense runs through Sabonis, it relies on Herder and Murray knocking down their shots. And I think, you know, given the experience or the lack of experience in the playoffs compared to the Warriors who have had a tremendous amount, I think that's going to be the difference. And Tom and Yuri, can I get your games, please? I've got Sacramento in seven, ah, Alex. I, I just right. believe that, you know, the crowd, it's going to be a jamboree in there, you know, Golden One Center. It's going to be reminiscent of the early 2000s with, you know, Chris Webber, Pajas Stojakovic, Vlade Divac, Mike Bibby, Doug Christie, you know, the great Kings team then. I think it's going to really have that same feel. Tom? My uh, bold call is Kings go up to zip and then Warriors win in six. <laughs> okay. I'm going to write that down specifically. Uh, all right, look, this is our next matchup, excuse me, in the West, and uh, we're breezing through time today, so we might try and keep it under three minutes, which is going to be tough, guys. Grizzlies versus Lakers. 
No Stephen Adams, no Brandon Clark. And I think personally that spells foul trouble for Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, he's going to be put in the pick and roll all game against AD and LeBron. Uh, who's going to start this one? Yuri, I think we've got you pegged. Yes. Yes, that's a worry I think as well, Alex. We talked about it before, especially with, you know, Brandon Clark and Stephen Adams being out for the rest of the season. I think, you know, Jaron Jackson and Dylan Brooks as well, both of them accumulated roughly on average 3.6 and 3.3 fouls respectively. And I remember a couple of years ago when they played Utah in the first round playoff series, the 1-8 matchup, both of them got into foul trouble consistently and sort of really harpered Memphis's momentum when they were just about to get into those games. So that's going to be the real worry in itself. The other one, of course, is with Anthony Davis, with you know his you know production against Memphis this season. I think he had a 30.22 rebound game and there was another you know 28-19 rebound and five-block performance in a loss as well. So... How do they possibly contain AD on the glass as well? Even though Tillman, you know, is a reliable defender, Jaron Jackson's going to have to play a lot more of that help defense to try and, you know, negate Davis's, you know, production, you know, near the rim. So that's the other part too. I think the other aspect as well is the three-point shooting. Both teams don't shoot it well. We've constantly talked about the Lakers' woes from from deep, although, you know, with D'Angelo, Russell, Malik Beasley arguably being their best two three-point shooters. So, that's going to be where it really lies upon. And also, I think pace as well. Both teams, you know, are right up there in terms of, you know, pace and try to push the game at a quicker speed. I think Memphis was third by memory in terms of pace, and the Lakers weren't far off them as well. And the rebounding count too. Both teams are, you know, consistently strong rebounding sides. So, again, this is going to be one, you know, absolutely cork of a series. And we've seen in recent, you know, years with two seven matchups in the Western Conference, I think, when Memphis was a seven seed against OKC and really pushed them the distance, so I think seven games by memory in that series. So don't be surprised if this series also goes to a seven deciding game as well, Alex. Yeah, this game, this series really could be the series of transition. When you look at the stats, the Grizzlies averaged 25.8 points per game in transition, which is second in the league. Lakers averaged 23.7 points per game, which is sixth in the league. Uh, but then the Lakers are the fourth worst in the league when it comes to giving up. Uh, points in transition. So I feel like the Grizzlies are just going to be pushing that pace. And anytime Jar can get out running, I think he's going to be heading straight to that rim. And I think that's where this series is going to be won for the Grizzlies. Yeah, this one in the media, a lot of people jumping on the Lakers bandwagon. They're 14 and 6 over the last 20. Um, but if you watch carefully, they've had games where they look like a really good team and they've had moments and quarters where they play very sloppy and you can see LeBron's age coming through. Um, I think people forget the Grizzlies are second with a bullet in the West. They've played very well without Jar Morant. Um, a lot of that playing well early in the season was Stephen Adams, who will be sorely missed this season. Uh, Jack and Julian, your predictions for this series, please. I think that the Grizzlies will win it in seven. I think, like you said, the Lakers will have moments where you go, they're going to win this series quite comfortably. Um, But I think the Grizzlies just have that little bit more base of consistency and that's what you need uh, come playoffs. Julian? Exact same. I think Grizzlies in seven, that's my prediction. Um, I think, yeah, they're going to struggle to hold Morant. If they can force him to take more threes, that's probably going to benefit them. But I think his speed is just too much for the Lakers. And and who knows if LeBron and AD can even stay healthy throughout the series. We, we yeah, don't know. Always a worry. Uh, Yuri and Tom, uh, what was your picks? Grizzlies in seven, Alex. And Tom, I have Grizzlies in seven. So if you've got Grizzlies in seven, we're all picking the same thing. I've actually got Grizzlies in six. Oh, okay. He's confident. I like that. I think we're all, uh, look, we're all going to look very silly if the leg is pulled out. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. So we are recording this game halfway through the final elimination for the play-in. I glanced down at my TV to my bottom left and Minnesota are up 101 to 80 over the Thunder with about eight minutes. So look, Stranger things have happened, but we might presume the Denver Nuggets are going to take on the Minnesota Timberwolves in the first round. We won't talk too much. Uh, we're running out of time, and the game's not really locked in. Uh, who wants to talk about Nuggets versus Timberwolves? Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting one as well, Alex. I think this is the first playoff series between the two teams since all the way back to 2004, if I'm not mistaken, as well. And that was a great series in itself, too, even though you know Minnesota won easily in five games. That was Carmel Anthony's first postseason appearance in the NBA. I think the biggest part as well with Minnesota's Twin Towers is how much, you know, damage can they do as well? And that's been, of course, a circulating theme right throughout the season. The, you know, the synergy between Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert, can it still really click? And we've seen it, you know, in spades here and there as well. So I think, who knows? I think they can really push the Nuggets all the way and wouldn't surprise me if it does go all to the seventh and deciding game. That's just my feel about it. Denver in five for me. Um, I don't think that uh, the Timberwolves have that sort of uh, chemistry within the team yet. Um, They can be wildly inconsistent at times. Um, Like you said, they can go and beat the best teams and then they can lose to the worst teams as well. Like even my Pistons beat them twice this year. So um, I think think Denver win it in five. I had the Nuggets in six. I got the same thing. Um, I don't think they're at risk at all, but Minnesota can get games out of cat. They probably could get a game out of Anthony Edwards that puts them over the edge. Um, Tom, Yuri, your predictions? Nuggets in six, Alex. I've got Nuggets in five. Nuggets in five. And Julian, did I miss you? Sorry. Yeah, I've got Nuggets in five as well. And five as well. Well, that is the end of our uh, first round West preview. We've got about 15 minutes to breeze through the East. So uh, no BS right now. We'll go straight to the Cavs versus Knicks, which I think is probably the only interesting series. Um, news out today that Randall's going to try and return for game one. I don't know if he's going to stick to that. We know Jalen Brunson averaging 24 points a game this year as well. Um, Jack, you want to talk about Cavs versus Knicks? Yeah, I I was just sitting there thinking, who am I going to pick here? That's how close I think it is going to be. Um, it just, yeah, who knows who's going to win that, to be honest. I think either team can win that in probably, yeah, seven. So <laughs> I'll, I'll sit on the fence for that one. I'm the exact same as you, mate. In our document, I put down game seven with question marks because I've got, <laughs> I'm, if I gun to my head, I think Donovan Mitchell has been on a really good run recently, gun to my head, but I don't. I, I, I don't think I can pick him. I don't know where else. Does anyone else feel differently? Does anyone feel strongly about either the Cavs or the Knicks? I think it's 50-50, Alex. Tom, go ahead. I personally think the Cavs are going to roll them in about five, I reckon. Wow. I just, I don't think, I think what Brunson has done during the regular season is amazing, but I just don't think he has that next level to get to. He's averaged 24 points per game and six assists assists per game, but I just don't think he's going to be able to reach that next level that's required in the playoffs. And we saw this from the Knicks a couple of post-seasons ago when everyone thought they'd kind of compete with Atlanta and they were just completely outmatched and their offense stagnant. Their, Their offense just couldn't deliver when it needed to. And also, who's guarding Mitchell? He had 40-plus points in his last four games of the season. Uh, and his playoff averages, he averages 28.3 points per game throughout his playoffs in his career. I don't see anyone on that Knicks team actually stopping him, let alone also stopping Garland and then all having the score against Mobley and Allen. So, I was on mute. You'd think four years into being on Zoom for podcasts and, and everything, I wouldn't be on mute anymore. Julian, your prediction, please. Yeah, just I was just about to flip a coin because that's our uh, 
how certain I am about this. I have no idea. I'm just going to say Cavs for Donovan Mitchell in seven. All right. So if we have graphics associated to this, I think four of us are just going to go with a question mark and Tom's <laughs> the only one who's, uh, who's pretty married to Cavs in five. Um, moving on to the 76ers versus the Nets. This is a series for my mind, which may have a little pressure against the 76ers. The Nets have got nothing to lose. And uh, if you've been paying attention, the 76ers have quite a lot to lose with. Um, we picked Joel Embiid for MVP, I think, all across the board. Um, James Harden's not been playing particularly well down the stretch. He, he did play well early in the year and he thought maybe he could get an all-NBA nod. Um, but down the last uh, 15 to 10 games, I think was my qualifier for my stats. 16 points a game, 10 assists, so you think you're doing all right there. But he's only shooting 39 from the floor and worryingly 30% from three on over six and a half attempts a game. So he's still got that volume, but he's not converting that to makes. Uh, does anyone think the Nets can make this close? Well, it could be similar to 2019 playoffs, perhaps, Alex, when the teams faced each other in the first round in the 3 6 matchup. But it just feels like Embiid absolutely dominated the Nets back then with, you know, a young Jared Allen on the Nets roster where, you know, Embiid just completely bullied the Nets, and especially when they went small as well during that series. I think that's going to be the real problem they're going to have too. But I think one thing they could potentially get them on is on the rebounding side of things. Although, you know, the Nets aren't a great rebounding team. In itself, Philadelphia, I think, in like the bottom three for total rebounds, even though Embiid averaged about, what, 10.2 rebounds this season alone. So, again, that might give them some hope. But, yeah, I think their offense, you know, through Mikhail Bridges has to click consistently. But whereas, you know, Philadelphia has those options, you know, Harden, Joel Embiid, especially that pick and roll between the two, De'Anthony Melton, Tyrese Maxey, if PJ, you know, hits a couple of, you know, baseline corner three-pointers and, mm. you know, Paul Reed gives him, you know, energy off the bench too. I think it's just going to be way too much. And, again, it's the writing that, you know, Philadelphia has for, you know, the last three postseasons basically trying to, you know, make that push to try and get to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time since 2001. I think that's just where, you know, all directions are going live for this first round. We're going to talk about uh, what might be blocking them to make the Eastern Conference Finals a little later in our Mojo ratings. Uh, anyone else want to touch on 76ers versus Nets? I think that the 76ers should win it in five or six. Um, I'm going to put you down for five then, Jack. Put me down for five then. Lock it in. I need a, a, a correct answer. So. Lock it I, in, he says. Yeah, I think that they're, um, they're, they're Harden and Embiid are really going to hit their straps and their synergy is going to be unmatched. Jules? Yeah, I actually think the Nets will win one game only. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Philly in five. Uh, Tom, your prediction? I've got Philly in five as well. They'll let one slip, but I think it's going to be blowouts all across the board. I have Philly in six and Yuri, your prediction, please. Yeah, 76 is in five, Alex. In five. All right, moving on to Tom, your Celtics versus the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, We'll let you talk about this one. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I won't lie. I've been sleeping a little bit easier the last couple of nights knowing I don't have to go against playoff Jimmy. (laughs) yeah, all the stats, though, as soon as the Hawks won that on Twitter and everything, everyone's going, oh, Trey Young averaged 31 points, 11 assists in the two games he played against the Celtics. Uh, he was a negative 10 in both those games mm. and had zero resistance on defense. Tatum and Brown will just take him to the paint whenever they want. They'll get the pick and rolls. Even Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench will just drive right by him. So I really don't think there should be too much of a concern for the Celtics. The Hawks' point of difference, though, is their offensive rebounding. And... The second game that they played where both squads were pretty healthy, they did make a comeback in that fourth quarter and it was purely based off second chance points and offensive rebounding. 
Worth noting, though, Rob Williams didn't play in any of the three games yeah. uh, this season, and he will definitely make a difference in that. And if need be, the Celtics will just go big with Horford at the four, Rob Williams at the five. Uh, I mean, Celtics bench is just way deeper. Their defense is just miles ahead. And look, I'm predicting a sweep for the Celtics, but Celtics have had a few nights where they've gone bad shooting and it has cost them games. So I wouldn't be surprised if they have one game here and it's 4-1, but if they let more than one game slip, then they'll be quite disappointed with that. I'm going to lock you in for Celtics and four then, Tom. I'm going to put the lock graphic or the sound right here locked in. Uh, is anyone else as confident as Tom? Yeah, I think so as well, Alex. The three-point shooting, the Celtics, and of course they rely so much on you know, their perimeter shooting. And in those three games alone against Atlanta, they basically shot 46% from downtown. That was a 25 for 54 game in the regular season finale. I think that was a 20 for 42 shooting game. So another one was like, 21 for 46 from downtown. So they've completely blitzed, you know, Atlanta from deep. And Quinn Snyder talked about it as well after, I think it was the third and final meeting, or might have been the second meeting actually between the teams, where he said, if we give up 23s on any given night, we're not going to give ourselves a chance to win the game. So somehow they've got to try and eliminate Boston to under 15 threes a game to give themselves, you know, every chance of potentially winning the series. But yet again, that's going to be the real sort of Achilles heel from can they defend the three-point line? We saw, of course, Boston last postseason completely blitz, you know, from deep as well, especially that Eastern Conference semifinal series against the Milwaukee Bucks where, of course, you know, Grant Williams went off in that seventh and deciding game for, I think, roughly eight threes by memory. So yet again, all those three-point shooters that Boston have, you know, on either side of the floor is just going to be, I think, just a bit too much for Atlanta. And the rebounding too, they're also a very good rebounding team, the Celtics, when you add, you know, Robert Williams back into that lineup. So Celtics for six for mine, Alex. Celtics for six. So I had Celtics for five, and I thought maybe the addition of Quinn Snyder could be an interesting wrinkle for a series. Um, Jack or Julian, I don't know if you thought the same or if you just went Celtics in four or five as well. Yeah, I've gone Celtics in six as well. I think that... um Trey Young and that will have those games where he might hit 30. John T. Murray might do the same, but I just don't think it's sustainable against such a good side. Jules? Yeah, the Hawks struggle against the athletic wings. And as Yuri touched on, again, the Celtics are going to knock down a heap of threes and, um, yeah, too much for that Hawks. So I think Celtics in five or six. Let's go five. Okay, lock it in. Uh, Yuri, take us home. We've got three minutes to talk about Bucks versus Miami, which was the game we finalised this morning. Yeah, so it's basically the fourth postseason meeting between the two teams in the last decade. So 2013, of course, Miami won in a sweep. The 2020 bubble, of course, Miami won in five games and the Bucks got their payback the following postseason, sweeping Miami in four games. So this is going to be it's going to be an interesting series to say the least as well, Alex. And I've also done a piece on the Milwaukee Bucks for this postseason as well. And for Miami, how do they mitigate the Bucks bigs with, you know, of course, Bobby Portis, Brook Lopez, Giannis Antetokounmpo. They can play those three all together at the same time with Giannis at the small forward, Bobby at the four, Brook at the five. Other options as well the Bucks have, they can go small. They can put Giannis at the five, Jay Crowder at four, Chris at three, and say Javon Carter and Grace Allen in the backcourt, or even Javon Carter or Pat Connors in the backcourt. There are so many options that the Bucks can utilize, and I think that's the luxury you have when you have a roster which you can go as tall as you know the 10-inch, 10, 10 foot trees or go as small as the two <laughs> foot trees. And that's exactly what Milwaukee has. And I think that's going to be the worry for Miami because they've gone downsized small in a way now with, you know, they've put Max Struess in the starting lineup. They've shifted Jimmy to the four. And who knows what 
Eric Spolster is going to do come this postseason as well in terms of does he actually want to put Kevin Love back in starting lineup? Mm. Most likely not. But those are the conundrums that, you know, the Miami Heat coaching staff face in itself. So, again, the rebound in Milwaukee were number one in the league with about 48.6 rebounds a game. And Miami weren't, you know, the best rebounding team in itself. And three-point shooting, you know, of course, the Bucks revel from downtown. They take over... Basically, they take roughly about 43-point attempts a game. Miami is sort of middle tier in that area. So it's going to be one that's going to be really intriguing. And who knows, Miami could take a couple of games as well. So I've still got Milwaukee though in six games, Alex. Bucks in six. I also have the Bucks in six. Anyone else want to talk about matchups or uh, potential issues for this series? Jack? No, I'm just going to say they're going to go to the garage and get my broom there because they're going to sweep them for <laughs> Are you prepared to lock it in? Lock it in. Lock it in. Bucks in four. Jules, Tom. I think they give up one. I'll go Bucks in five. I think way too strong for them. I'm, I'm going Bucks in four. Uh, Heat's got one of the worst offenses in the league. Bucks have one of the best defenses in the league. Heat just aren't going to score. I love it. Well, that's all of our first round matchups uh, we've previewed. We'll see where we're at uh, when we record next week. Wrapping up the show this week, we have our Mojo rating. So we are the NBA Weekly Recap Show on the Mojo Sports Network. So at the end of every week, we give a rating for how each team or player might be feeling now or in the future, our little Mojo rating. Um, Jack, do you want to start? I don't know if you're prepared for this at all. No, I'm not. So I might let you start. <laughs> uh, all right, I'll start. So, uh, Jack, you went with us last week when we did the segment. I have the 76ers. I think their Mojo is about a six, and a te- six out of 10. Excuse me. Um, they have what I think is a bit of pressure coming into the postseason against the Nets team that aren't doing much. Um, there's a bit of a risk there. They lose one, they lose two. They get in their own minds. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. I'm sure you might be able to tell me James Harden's contract status. Is he a player option for next season? I can't yet. I've got nods from, ten, uh, from Tom. But more so getting around uh, this playoff series, I'm worried about where they end up next playoff series because the Celtics are going to smoke Atlanta and then the 76ers come up against the Celtics. So I don't think the 76ers are feeling too good. They're 6 out of 10 at the moment for me. Uh, Tom, go ahead. I did do this one before the OKC Minnesota game started, but I'm going to stick with it. And I've got OKC 8 out of 10 uh, simply because uh, everyone thought they were going to be in their race for Wembenyama and they uh, were one game away from making the playoffs. I think their young core is well and truly overperforming, but they've shown glimpses of potential. Giddy's now shown he's the real deal. SGA didn't really play that well against the Pelicans the other night. Still had 32 points on 50% shooting. Chet's going to be back next season. They've got this great young depth, and they have 15 first-round picks between now and 2027. Mm. They're going to build out this roster, and they should compete for years to come. Yeah, we should touch on that. I think there's about five minutes to go in this OKC Timberwolves game and the Wolves are up by 20-something. So, uh, look, if this comes back, we might have to have an emergency pod in another 20 minutes of time. Uh, Yuri, your mojo rating. So I've got the Cavs at an 8 out of 10, Alex, as well. I think, you know, what they were able to go through, you know, last postseason, although, you know, they didn't get into the playoffs after losing those two playing games, but to see what they've done this season as well, you know, with Donovan Mitchell's acquisition and, you know, the continued growth of, you know, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen in the front court and Isaac Okoro and, you know, Darius Garland's production too. So they should be feeling good for what they've done for the first time, you know, in 25 years. They've made the playoffs, you know, minus LeBron James, which is, you know, a historic feat in itself, Alex. So that's where, you know, 
they should, you know, be, you know, give themselves a real pat on the back for what they've accomplished. And now, you know, this series against the New York Knicks, you know, that's going to be the one that's going to be, you know, arguably the top of the tree for the first round of the Eastern Conference. So they should, you know, feel really good about, you know, getting past the first round, even though, you know, the series is, you know, I'd say most likely going to go to a seventh and deciding game. Julian, over to you. I'm going to give the Warriors a 7 out of 10. Um, I, I think they actually deserve a bit of credit for how they go into the playoffs, considering all the setbacks they've had this season. Consider at the start they had the issues with Draymond and Jordan Poole, had Wiggins with personal issues, they had Curry getting injured, they had Clay. you know, um, there was a lot of talk about him not performing at the start. And now we go into the playoffs and they've got Draymond, Looney, Curry, Poole, Payton, Wiggins coming back. I think like that's an incredible effort considering all those setbacks. And they go on with what might look like a healthy lineup that hasn't played a lot together, but they've got the experience. And when they switch it on, who knows um, how much damage they could do. But yeah, credit for just hanging in there and getting there again. Okay, Jack, you've had two and a half minutes to prep. I feel like a teacher throwing it back to you. Do you understand the assignment? Have you got a mojo rating? Yeah, I do. I've got the Kings. Um, I'm going to give them a nine because uh, before the season started, uh, Mike Brown was basically told that they need to make the playoffs or you're gone, really. That was just the way that it was put to them. And I think, obviously, they far exceeded that and they couldn't have done much more this year. And um, I've just, with their little bit of mojo running into the playoffs, I'm, I'm quietly confident they'll go okay. Well, that's the end of our first round playoff preview for the NBA Weekly Show. I can't wait for this week's worth of basketball. Uh, I'm going to take an audio on uh, Thursday, I think and watch as much as I can and catch up. And we're going to get back together next week and talk about the middle of the first round, how things are, how our predictions are going. Uh, Tom, where can we find you? Uh, I've got an article hopefully coming out on the Raw this week about Jimmy Butler with an interesting trade proposal, assuming uh, Bucks handle their business. I'm not going to ask you to spoil it if you don't want to, but I'll read the hell out of that because I'm very interested about what they do. Yuri, where can we find you? So you can find my work at zerohanger.com.au. I put up an article about a couple of days ago as well on the Melbourne Football Club. The, so from 10 years on, from arguably one of the darkest periods of the Melbourne Football Club's era to, you know, potentially competing for, you know, more silverware to come. So take a read on zerohanger.com.au and you'll be able to find a few of my other articles there as well. Jack, have you got anything coming out this week? I do. I've got my own podcast, Sports Confidential, where we're going to have a big breakdown on everything sports around the world. So if you're into that, tune in. And Julian, uh, how's your fantasy tipping going? Yeah, no, we're not going too bad. I'm actually, I'm actually heading to Adelaide tomorrow for the gather round. So uh, I'll yeah. see players live in action. But um, no, fantasy's done for NBA now that it's playoffs. So we did well there. And now we focus on AFL fantasy. <laughs> Lovely. So if you need more basketball action, please read Tom on the raw.com. Jack's Sports Confidential Podcast. You can read AFL with Yuri, or you can listen to Beeble Bites, a three-minute basketball podcast from myself. That's the end of it, guys. Thank you very much for joining us today. The show is edited by myself and executive produced by Ben McQueen. The executive is always very important to say. We're a podcast on the Mojo Sports Network, and I can't wait to see you all again next week. If you've made it this far, please rate the show or consider telling a couple of your mates about it. Thanks for joining me, guys. I really appreciate it. Cheers, Alex. Fantastic. Thanks, Alex.